You're listening to Deep Breaths, Updates from Chest on ReachMD. This series is produced in partnership with the American College of Chest Physicians. The following episode was recorded live at the 2019 Annual Chest Conference in New Orleans. In this episode, we'll hear from three distinguished guests, Dr. Christina Montemayor, who's a fourth-year pulmonary critical care fellow at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Allison Lambert, who's an assistant professor at the University of Washington, and our third and final guest is Dr. Natalie West, who's an assistant professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christina Montemayor. Coming to you from the 2019 Annual Chess Conference in New Orleans, I'm Dr. Christina Montemayor, and joining me to discuss recent updates in the diagnosis and management of cystic fibrosis are Dr. Natalie West and Dr. Allison Lambert. Dr. West, Dr. Lambert, we welcome you both. Thank you both. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you um, the CF track that's taking place at CHEST. Thank you so much for having us. We are very excited to join today. So why don't we start with you, Dr. West. In this year's cystic fibrosis education track at CHEST, what are some of the diagnostic and treatment advances that have been discussed? In terms of diagnostic advances, it's important to review the sweat chloride test. So as you know, this test is what we use to diagnose CF, one of the three tests we can use. And historically, the normal values were anywhere between 0 and 40 millimoles. And then indeterminate values would be between 41 and 59, with abnormal being greater than 60. Uh, And the majority of individuals with CF have a sweat chloride around 100. So in 2017, the normal range was actually updated to be a lower range, between 0 and 29, with then indeterminate being between 30 and 59, with the abnormal still remaining at greater than 60. Um, But what's really important to know is newborn screening is now Uh, mandated in all 50 states, so that has been something that has been implemented over the past decade or so. And it's important to note that approximately 10% of patients are diagnosed as adults because newborn screening was not in play decades ago, so we really need to maintain a heightened awareness. So if you have a patient that you have clinical signs uh, that appear to be CF, such as bronchiectasis, repeated pulmonary infections, sinus infections, pancreatic insufficiency, Um, really need to still think about CF in that clinical scenario. It's also important to note that 10% of adults will have a normal sweat chloride. So if you have the appropriate clinical scenario, you should really proceed to genetic testing. Um, One pearl I have is if you have this clinical suspicion of CF, please make sure you're ordering the right genetic panel. There's a lot of panels out there that only test for 20 to 30 of the most common genetic mutations. But we know there's over 2,000 mutations, so really need to make sure the panel that you're ordering covers all of those so you're making sure you're ruling in or ruling out CF. I think those are really good points, and I think um, states, it's worth noting that states also modify their newborn screening process over time. So, for example, Washington State recently modified our process, and that will really impact the diagnostic workup. And so keep in mind that you can always partner with your local or neighboring CF care center when you are considering this workup process. And we anticipate referrals for the diagnostic process in patients who have not yet received a diagnosis of CF. And we're very happy to collaborate 
and accept referrals by phone or in person um, to really support you in that workup process. And with regard to treatment advances, it's a super exciting time in CF. Um, and so there's new uh, medications that are coming out and that have come out over the past five to six years. And there was a special session here at uh, CHEST covering CFTR modulators. So in order to understand how these new medications actually improve care, I'd like to just refresh our memories on how the CF protein actually works. So when the CF channel doesn't work properly, there's basically an imbalance of sodium and chloride and then resulting in a water, uh, the airway's basically dehydrated. So I almost think of the CF airway as cement. It's really hard to expectorate all the sputum and bacteria from the lungs. And that's what really leads to all the damage we see in CF. But there's been some really new and exciting therapies over the last seven years, which for the first time has actually worked to correct the underlying genetic defect. So in 2012, Ivacaptor was the first one that was approved, and that was initially approved for only 4% of our population for G551D. But that actually uh, improved the way the CF protein worked so that that arrow was actually more hydrated and patients could actually clear a lot of that mucus and bacteria. And the clinical outcomes, our FEV1 actually improved by 13 to 15%, and the sweat chloride dropped by 50 points, so really kind of go, going more towards that normal or indeterminate range. And there was a 55% reduction in needing IV antibiotics. And that eventually um, was then approved for several other mutations, so about 10% of our population. Then in 2015, Lumacaftor Ivacaftor was approved for those that have two copies of Delta F508, and that's about 50% of our population. The clinical outcomes there were not as impressive. Um, the sweat chloride was still in the abnormal range, and the FEV1 only improved by about 3%, but there was still an impressive reduction in the need for IV antibiotics, about 30%. Uh, shortly thereafter, in 2017, Tezacaptor Ivacaptor was approved. And this basically almost replaced the Lumacaptor Ivacaptor in most patients because it's better tolerated and had less drug-drug interactions. But the clinical outcomes were about the same. So now what's super exciting is now we have triple therapy that hopefully should be approved by the FDA in about six months or so. We're thinking early spring of 2020. And that's combining Alexacaptor with Tezacaptor and Ivacaptor. And the exciting thing about that is that it it will be hopefully approved for about 90% of our patients. And the clinical outcomes are like Ivacaptor was for the G551D initially. So an increase in FEV1 about 10 to 13%. That sweat chloride's going almost near the normal indeterminate range instead of being clearly abnormal. And then a very impressive reduction in needing IVs by about 50 to 60% over, over six months. So we really think this is really gonna change the landscape of um, our CF patients and dramatically improve outcomes. I know. Not only is this an ex the triple therapy exciting time for uh, clinicians, but it's a ex super excited time for patients as well. You know, we, we've noticed in um, the Johns Hopkins Adult CF Center that during now every clinic visit, patients are inquiring about the triple therapy um, and asking about timeline for approval, um, just as Dr. West has described. Um, at the same time, though, we know that the CF Foundation is committed to finding therapies for those patients with genetic mutations that, that do not respond to this triple therapy, so that 10% um, that uh, Dr. West was talking about. Uh, we know that the CF Foundation will not um, rest until a cure is found. 
Um, and with those developments in mind, Dr. Lambert, what challenges are you seeing as those patients begin to live longer with advanced treatment? Yeah, I think with um, ongoing advances in the modulator therapy that we have just discussed um, and some exciting critical clinical trials that are underway that you will learn more about during this CHEST meeting, I foresee how we care for our patients with CF really continuing to evolve over time. Um, and we hope that these changes will continue to extend the lifespan of our patients with CF. Um, and in 2017, patients who were born with cystic fibrosis uh, are anticipated to have a median predicted survival age of 46 years. And that was a very um, thrilling national meeting um, for the CF community when those results were released. Um, and so I just want to comment for a minute that I think that some of these advances in survival in CF can be attributed to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation with their model of care delivery, which involves um, accrediting care centers, developing a patient registry, sharing de-identified data with center-specific outcomes, and really participating and motivating these care centers to evaluate their results in comparison to their peers and continuously change and improve. Um, and so this care delivery model, which is focused on continuous quality improvement, and also the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation's expansive work in the area of patient advocacy, patient education, guideline development, patient-centered clinical trial design has really improved and led to these results. Um, and so as a result, we're faced with an increasing life expectancy for our patients with CF, which is, again, very, very exciting for both um, clinicians and patients alike. Um, particularly in light of the triple modulator therapy that Dr. West has described. Um, and so as a result, we do anticipate that we'll be seeing more CF exacerbations, and that's a panel that um, Dr. Montemayor and Dr. West and I will be discussing today at CHEST. Um, so what, is the, what are the current guidelines for management of CF exacerbations, and what trials are underway that may impact how we take care of these exacerbations in the future? Um, so to answer more specifically your question regarding challenges, I would say there are a few key opportunities for improvement in our care delivery, specifically in partnership with the CF Foundation. We are looking to better characterize our patients with advanced lung disease caused by cystic fibrosis and to really understand the optimal approach to screening, evaluating, and referring this subpopulation of patients for CF, um, for lung transplantation. Um, in addition, as with any aging population, we are increasingly aware of the need to screen, diagnose, and treat comorbidities. Um, so for example, our patients with, our adult patients with CF do require evaluation for premature colon cancer risk, um, as well as for osteoporosis, diabetes, and mental health. And so really what we're trying to focus on right now in the CF community is engaging our internal medicine partners, engaging our family medicine clinicians and our subspecialty partners to optimize um, primary care and subspecialty, subspecialty care delivery for our patients um, with the mindset that we will anticipate extended lifespan. Um, and then I would just say lastly that there's still so much more to learn and improve and we are really excited about the trials that are underway and we also realize that not all patients with CF are the same and a lot of the information we've described thus far has been sort of population level data. Um, and so we are dedicated to understanding what drives risk for our sickest patients. Um, and so in line with other fields of chronic pulmonary disease, we've increasingly recognized gender-based disparities. 
um, and multiple researchers in the field, including yourself, Dr. Montebayer, um, and your colleagues have identified that women suffer increased morbidity and mortality in CF. And so I didn't know, if, I wondered if you might want to comment on some of those findings. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Lambert. Um, yeah, exactly as you said, re prior research has shown that women have decreased uh, mortality, more frequent pulmonary exacerbations, and are less likely to recover after treatment for a pulmonary exacerbation. We'll be discussing this in more detail in our session today, uh, but our research group most recently found that women receive more days of IV antibiotic therapy for a pulmonary exacerbation. For those of you just turning in, you're listening to REACH MD. I'm Dr. Christina Montemayor coming to you from the 2019 Annual Chess Conference in New Orleans, and I'm speaking with Drs. Natalie West and Allison Lambert about recent advances in cystic fibrosis. So Dr. West, continuing our discussion on how we can better treat this disease, what effective approaches are you seeing for the management of pulmonary exacerbations? So yes, pulmonary exacerbations are really a sentinel event in the lives of our patients with CF. And with the upcoming CFTR modulator therapy, we're actually expecting to see less of those. But because there's chronic damage that CFTR modulator therapy is not going to reverse, we still need to be able to treat these effectively. And usually, we, we characterize exacerbations by increased symptoms, drop in lung function, and a physician decision to treat with antibiotics. But there is a very wide variety um, and variable we usually characterize pulmonary exacerbations by increased symptoms, drop in lung function, and a physician decision to treat with antibiotics. But there is a wide variability in how clinicians treat patients for an exacerbation across the nation and even the world. And there's very little evidence to help guide us in terms of choice of antibiotics, route of antibiotics, dosing, duration, whether sometime in the hospital is better than complete treatment at home, or even just a combination of home and hospital. So in 2009, the CF Foundation convened a working group to help really develop these clinical trials and help answer some of these questions. I'm a part of this group, and the first trial that was designed was actually an observational trial. So about five to six years ago, uh, there was approximately 220 patients in about 11 centers, and we just observed what was happening to these patients. So we got frequent uh, spirometry, we got symptom scores, and then we really observed how clinicians were treating these patients, and then we looked at outcomes. And we basically used this in order to design our first randomized control trial that's currently ongoing. So this program is called Standardized Treatment of Pulmonary Exacerbations, or STOP for short. So STOP2 is a clinical trial that's actually randomizing patients to different durations of IV antibiotics based on your initial clinical response approximately seven to 10 days after starting IVs. So for instance, at day seven or 10 of IVs, we repeat spirometry, look at the symptom score, and if FEV1 is increased by 8% or more and the symptoms have improved, then we call you an early robust responder, and we know you don't need therapy for that much longer. So those patients are being randomized to 10 versus 14 days of IVs. If you don't meet that mark, we're calling you a non-early robust responder. And we know that you probably need treatment for longer. And so those patients are being randomized to 14 to 21 days. We anticipate the clinical trial will end in the first quarter of 2020 and we'll have the results next summer. But the STOP program isn't stopping there. We are actually in, in, the, in talks to designing the next clinical trial. And lastly, just to bring all this together, Dr. Lambert, if you could give one call to action to your colleagues who are diagnosing and treating patients with cystic fibrosis, what would that be? Um, so I have three calls. <laughs> 
But I would say my calls are the following. One, as I mentioned, to engage your local or neighboring CF care center. And you can find these by going to the CF Foundation website. Um, and as I said, if you're a clinician evaluating a patient for cystic fibrosis, do contact us um, so that we can support you in this diagnostic process and discover whether expanded genetic screening is needed and to share our resources that we have identified to obtain coverage for this testing, um, which at times can be frustrating and problematic. Um, and with over 2,000 mutations identified, a complete genetic panel is not always necessary, but again, at the same time, not all mutations have yet been identified. So we still knew, do rely on sweat chloride testing or nasal potential differences um, and, and as part of this workup. Secondly, I would say join us in the care of adults with CF. Um, so as our population ages, we need to engage our internists and our non-pulmonary subspecialists to support the screening, diagnosing, and treating of comorbidities that we are observing in our aging population. And then lastly, there's still much work to be done. It's an exciting time and critical initiatives are underway. We didn't have time yet to discuss today the CF Foundation Lung Transplant Consortium um, and ways that we are looking to approach understanding how to best care for patients with our most advanced lung disease, um, which are particularly relevant for those living at a distance from lung transplant centers. Thank you. And how about you, Dr. West? What are some of your calls to action? So I think mine goes back to the CFTR modulator therapy. With the triple therapy coming out, our excitement about the expected dramatic improvements with this, a lot of the CF community is already asking, can we simplify our patient's drug regimen? So our patients spend two to three hours a day on airway clearance, inhaled um, therapies, inhaled antibiotics, taking their pancreatic enzymes, cleaning up everything. And so our patients are saying, hey, now that the triple therapy is coming out, if I get better, can we, can we take off some of these medications? So the CF Foundation is actually already ahead of the curve on this. They are proceeding with a clinical trial called Simplify where they will randomize patients to either take away their hypertonic saline or their pulmazine so that we can better understand how to advise our patients in an evidence-based fashion. And this is yet another example of how the CF Foundation partners with patient groups to really identify the most relevant questions for them. And another important highlight that I'd like to note is that the CF Foundation has supported the formation of the Women's Health Consortium, which was proposed by five investigators nationally who have been conducting research in women's health. And so um, there's five of us that are four in the steering committee and we're excited to address some of the sex-based disparities and CF outcomes that we're talking about in CHEST. Thank you. Those are some fantastic uh, calls to action to take with us. Uh, I want to thank my guests for joining me to discuss the latest updates in diagnosis and management of cystic fibrosis. Dr. West and Dr. Lambert, it was great having you both on the program. I'm Dr. Christina Montemayor, and thank you for listening today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, we've had a great time discussing the updates in CF. This was Deep Breaths, Updates from Chest, produced in partnership with the American College of Chest Physicians. To access other episodes in this series, visit reachmd.com chest, where you can be part of the knowledge.